0: 702, Series 7, Episode 2. Written and edited by Daniel Spitzer. Audio by Seraphie and Daniel Spitzer. Music by Kevin McLeod. PGTTCM is part of the Dark Myths Collective. We are engaged in an ongoing discussion of the Cthulhu mythos and its timeline regarding Earth. To be part of it, contact us at pgttcm at gmail.com or join us on Facebook or Twitter. Just search for PGTTCM. Do you want me to give you a cleaner email address? Um, I can edit it. Okay. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe to PGTTCM on iTunes and Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. Donate to patreon.com slash PGTTCM and get something cool each month. Early early release episodes, unique audio content, otherwise unreleased banter, and our ever-popular sticker cult are just a few of the options. People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos is brought to you by BunnySlippers.com and FoundItemClothing.com. Hey, keep your feet warm and cute this winter with some Cthulhu slippers from BunnySlippers.com, And get your favorite screen-accurate shirts from your favorite... F- Films from founditemclothing.com Greetings, listeners! It is we, D.B. Spitzer and Sarah Fee, here to talk to you once again about the Cthulhu mythos. Its books, its monsters, its unfortunate human casualties, its timeline in general, and even its tangential bits, like the dreamlands or things of a weird nature, the things that are crafty and leaning. Once more, we head into those dark woods, further feeling those malevolent forces upon us. Once again, we walk down the lightless stone staircase, in the middle of nowhere. Check out the show's merch table at pgttcm.threadless.com. You can find lots of cool shirts and mugs and stuff there. All original designs by of D.B. Spitzer. No. March 15th. No. <laughs> March 15th,
1: dude, wasn't that when that, that was when Caesar was stabbed? Was March it?
0: March 15th, yeah. Maybe that is middle the
1: Middle of March, Ides of March. Uh, yeah, I, don't know. I think you're wrong.
0: Listen, AIDS happened every month. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I know. Yeah, in the middle. <laughs> anyway, Herbert West Reanimator. What the fuck? Yeah. It's a gross story. It's a gross, racist story.
0: But, like, the whole, like, thing where the only black man is a backstreet boxer and um, that he's the one who eats a child, that's just, mm-mm.
1: Yeah, but check this out. He got a name. We know what his name is
0: yeah also Herbert West's mom had a name oh crazy pants that child's mom though died of hysteria which is H.T.
1: didn't write that part
0: bullshit really yeah well that makes more sense yeah apparently she died of hysteria
1: well I mean that was a real thing back then
0: no it wasn't it was never a real thing it was always (laughs) bullshit It was...
1: A way to control women. Always bullshit.
0: Well, the idea that the uterus can make you do strange things is like a patriarchal revenge for the fact that dicks do make you do strange things. Yeah. Okay.
1: All right. So, I'm not not trying to be dismissive of your uterine talk there. Okay, so we're going to be talking about Herbert West Reanimator this week on People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. It's good to be back. It is the middle of March or as I like to call them the ides of March psh, psh. Herbert West reanimator jerk as we've talked as we've talked one it's gross
0: really gross.
1: Two. Wait, wait, wait.
0: So like what I wanted to say was that like we've been trying to talk about this episode for a week, uh-huh. but every time we sit down to talk about it together we're eating Yes. and you've been like, "Uh, we can't talk about it now." No, no we cannot.
1: No we cannot.
0: <laughs> and now that I've read some of it, I uh, completely understand why.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's it's gory. Gory and gross. It's racist. What I so. wanted to
0: what I wanted to say
2: uh-huh
0: besides the fact that we could never talk about this over food, was that you also told me that um, Herbert West reanimator is supposed to be a satire of Frankenstein. The Frankenstein's monster, Mm -hmm. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein's monster. The thing about that is, is I wonder what H.P. Lovecraft thought about Mary Shelley. Well, there
1: is writing by H.P. Lovecraft Uh uh, called something about uh writing in the supernatural or something about that Uh about uh and and, you know everyone's screaming at their at their podcast
0: player (laughs) right now i (laughs)
1: gramophones about uh ah it's this it's this and it's like yeah yeah i know it's that but i don't have it in front of me right now anyway uh, (laughs) he talks about frankenstein and uh various other horror stories that he liked and that influenced him, uh-huh. and that would be a good way to find out what he thought of Mary Shelley, and yeah. or if he says anything about Mary Shelley, or uh-huh. if he just you know is like oh you know that one guy's wife.
0: Oh yeah, Mr. Shelley, the yeah. poet.
1: Herbert West Reanimator is so nowadays. Uh, if you say Herbert West Reanimator, people are going to think of the movie uh, Reanimator. Oh. Uh, featuring Jeffrey Combs. And it's not because it's not because of Jeffrey Combs, and it's not because of the film. It's the fact that it's a literary podcast. We're ignoring that. We're ignoring the fact that uh, a reanimator gives uh, the narrator a name, which is, I think, Dan Kane. Oh. But we're treating this a bit more like Fight Club, where the narrator still has no name.
0: What's really interesting to me about the I am fact-
1: Jack's reagent.
0: Right. <laughs> a lot of a lot of. I
1: cause corpses to rise from the
0: dead. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so a lot of a lot of HP's um, narrators don't have a name. Yeah. And what's interesting to me, of course, is that like who reads the book? I mean, I don't know. It's like knowing H. P. Lovecraft's like blah 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 stuff about women and whatnot. You can assume that all of his characters are white men it's interesting to me that like for instance you can read the stories and as long as it's a female voice in your head or something like that then you can imagine that it could be anybody Ooh. Ooh. to have some privacy to
1: have some privacy yeah 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 to have that big of a house and no servants, something uh, must be going on.
0: Especially back then, oh, you yeah. need you need at least three people to use the vacuum cleaner. So yes,
1: and and this, <laughs> this is this is uh, another example of H. P. Lovecraft's story writing where it's Herbert West,
0: 1883 to 1921, is a fictional character in a series of short stories written by H. P. Lovecraft. Ever hear of the guy? 1883, according to P. Rollick, Evangeline West gives birth to the bastard Herbert West. 1898, West enters Miskatonic University. 1904 to 1905, the narrator recounts his history with the title character. Who has recently disappeared. As a medical student at Miskatonic University, the narrator becomes fascinated by West's theories, which postulate that the human body is simply a complex organic machine which can be restarted. West eventually realizes he must experiment on human subjects. The two men spirit away supplies from their medical school and set up their lab in an abandoned farmhouse. At first, they pay a group of men to rob grapes for them, but none of the experiments are successful. West and the narrator then rob graves themselves. One night, they steal the corpse of a construction worker who died that morning in an accident. They take it back to the farmhouse and inject it with West's solution, but nothing happens. Later, an inhuman scream is heard from within the room containing the corpse. Moved by instinct, they flee into the night. West accidentally trips over a lantern on the way out, which starts a fire. West and the narrator escape. The next day, however, the newspaper reports that a grave in Potter's Field, violently molested the night before, displays the claws of a beast. Sometime after the fire, West's research is stunted when Dr. Alan Halsey, the dean of the medical school, refuses to allow him access to human cadavers or the university's dissection lab. West has a stroke of luck though when a typhoid epidemic breaks out and West and the narrator are called to help tend to the many dying victims. West begins injecting his patients with a new serum, which has no greater effect than to cause some of the body's eyes to open. Eventually, Halsey succumbs to the typhoid and, as a final act of twisted respect for his former, former rival, West steals his corpse to reanimate. West and the narrator take Halsey's body back to West's room at a boarding house, where they inject it with the new serum. Halsey does, in fact, reanimate, but inexplicably, he is less intelligent and more violent than his previous experiment. After beating West and the narrator into unconsciousness, Halsey embarks on a killing spree, beating and murdering over a dozen people before he is apprehended by the police. The cannibal murderer is soon committed to a local mental institution. West curses the fact that too much time has elapsed and that Halsey's brain has deteriorated. 1906 to 1909, now licensed doctors, West and the narrator go into practice together in the small New England town of Bolton purchasing a house near the local cemetery to have easy access to corpses. Still intent upon successfully reanimating a human being, they claim the body of Buck Robinson, a black boxing champion who died of a head wound in an illegal back alley street fight. Gamblers betting on the fight arrange for West to dispose of the body as it clears them of any crime. West and the narrator hurriedly take the body back to the lab and inject it with another new serum. When nothing happens, they take the corpse out to a meadow and bury it. Several days later, there are reports around town of a missing child. The child's mother dies during a fit of hysteria, and the father tries to kill West in a fit of rage because West couldn't save her. That night, West and the narrator are startled by an aggressive pounding on the back door. Opening the door, West and the narrator come face to face with the boxer's corpse. Covered in mildew and dirt, and hunched over at the back entrance. entrance hanging from his mouth is the arm of the missing child. Almost instantly, West empties an entire revolver into the creature. 1910. Sometime after West's killing of the reanimated boxer, the narrator returns home from vacation to discover the perfectly preserved corpse of a man in the home he shares with West. West explains that during the narrator's absence, he perfected a type of embalming fluid that perfectly preserves a corpse as... It is the moment the chemical is injected into the bloodstream. Injected at the precise moment of death, the chemical prevents decomposition from even beginning. West reveals to the narrator that the dead man is a traveling salesman who had a heart attack during a physical examination. As the man died before West's eyes, he was able to preserve it with the embalming fluid and has been waiting for the narrator to return so that the two of them can reanimate the body together. West injects the body with his latest serum, Of life gradually began to appear. Uh, When the narrator questions the man, he mouths words with seeming rationality and intent. Just before the man returns to the dead, he begins screaming and thrashing violently, revealing in a horrible scream that he was in fact murdered by West. 1914. West and narrator join the Canadian Armed Forces. 1915, five years later, West and the narrator become involved in World War One as a means to procure more bodies. Serving as a medic in Flanders, West has gone beyond the point of simply trying to reanimate corpses. Experiments now include isolating parts of the body and reanimating them independently in an attempt to prove their machine-like quality. On the battlefield, West befriends his commanding officer and fellow medic, Major Sir Eric Moreland Clapham Lee, and shares with him his theories and methods on reanimation. Shortly thereafter, Clapham suffers near decapitation and dies when his plane is shot down. West immediately begins to work on Clapham's body and injects the trunk of his body with his serum and places the head in a vat. The corpse comes to life and begins thrashing violently, reliving its last moments of life. Clapham's severed head begins to shout from across the room. The building is then destroyed by a bombshell. West and the narrator survive, but there's no sign of Clapham's head or body. The two men assume that he was vaporized in the blast, although West is since known to speak fearfully of a headless doctor with the power of reanimation. Wait, what? The two men assume that he was vaporized in the blast, although West is since known to speak fearfully of a headless doctor with the power of reanimation. 1918, Herbert West establishes a relationship with the artist Richard Upton Pickman, according to Rollick in Pickman's Marble. 1921, a year after returning from the war, West has moved into a house which is directly connected to an ancient system of catacombs from settler times. While reading the newspaper one night, West comes across an article detailing a series of strange, seemingly nonsensical events involving a riot and an insane asylum. A wax-headed man, Clapham, followed by a group of disturbing-looking followers carrying a box, had demanded that the detained cannibal killer, Halsey, be released to them. When the invaders were refused the killer, They took him by force. West spends the remainder of the night in a near catatonic state until someone comes to the door. The narrator answers only to find a group of men. One of the figures presents the narrator with the large box, which the narrator then gives to West. West refuses to open the box and insists that they incinerate it. The two men carry it to the basement and burn it. As soon as the box burns, the zombies tear through the walls of West's home via the catacombs. Leaving the narrator alone, the zombies soon attack West, realizing that his own death is imminent. West allows the zombies to disembowel him. As a final insult, Clapham decapitates West's corpse before leading his army of zombies off into the night. The narrator does not reveal much to the police about West and they disbelieve the information he does reveal since the catacomb wall seems intact and undisturbed. He is forever haunted, considered mad by his knowledge of what transpired and the lack of resolution regarding the raised corpses.
1: Yeah, no, what I really like about Herbert West and like Frankenstein and other stories of the Gothic tradition is the fact that that Lovecraft tied in real-world events like World War I Uh and um, typhoid outbreaks and stuff like that. Yeah. And with his story, so that people reading it would be like, oh yeah, I remember that typhoid outbreak. Oh yeah, I remember that world war.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I bet the world really remembered the First World War. Um... Yeah, that's a really interesting idea. It's like he wanted to weave the fantastic into the mundane to sort of like muddy where the line was. Yeah, yeah. And
1: I don't know if there was any uh, boxer by that name that died around that era, but that would have been an interesting thing too. Mm -hmm. Would have been an interesting thing for me to look up. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, not necessary though, obviously. (laughs)
1: Uh, Yes, Herbert West... Uh, serialized in six parts five or six parts in homebrew and i think 1923 1926 so it was an amateur magazine that lovecraft published and it wasn't even like weird tales or anything like that so if there is a bit of a gross amateurish quality to it it is because of amateur writing of H. P. Lovecraft, and also the fact that it wasn't edited by any major publication and uh, meant for publication or, or, or meant for any mainstream publication at that uh-huh. time. So there's there's some things about uh, Herbert West Reanimator that are a little bit problematic, and just in a technical sense. Uh
0: huh. Yeah. Not not, not problematic
1: in the. Uh, So sociological sense.
0: I have to say that even the summary that you had me read really is way more gory than a lot of HP stuff that I've gotten into. Yeah. It's like um, when we were discussing in episode 700 about what makes the mythos the mythos. Yeah. One of the things was is that everything's slimy.
1: Yeah. And this is one of the least mythosy mythos stories. Uh It's just the fact that this kind of like uh i don't know it's 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 i, I i'm not even 100 percent sure if herbert west belongs in the cthulhu mythos. Uh-huh. besides the fact that he's written about by h.p lovecraft mm-hmm. except for the fact that it it, it it does add kind of like i don't know it it, it adds something yeah. to the sauce that isn't necessarily uh-huh. something that you're going to notice right away. Well, it adds something to it. It's... Right.
0: I mean, kind of like nutmeg. Yeah. But one of the things, of course, about Herbert West is that he's like a modern-day warlock. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's a lot of wizards and witches and warlocks and whatnot in the mythos, but they are all from ancient times, and they're, they're... they're, like, some being that keeps body happy, or they're this, you know, like... Um, actually an animated corpse that some old one is inside of or something and it's like you know it's nice to see that actually this stuff is continuing in modern culture
2: just a reminder that people's guide to the cthulhu mythos is brought to you by founditemclothing.com and BunnySlippers.com. and also coming up we're going to be having a review for the most current issue of weird book I think it's 37 38 somewhere around there we'll find out but check out amazon.com and wildsidepress.com for your newest copy and back issues of weird book one of the greatest weird fiction books out there one of my personal favorites all right back to the show so speaking of amazon i want to check out uh i want you to check out long way to richmond it is a book by joseph rubis who is one of the many great writers in the uh, nihilism-revisited stable. Uh, Zack A. Ferguson and uh, S.C. Burke. You're going to find uh, Long Way to Richmond on Amazon, and you're going to find that it includes the short story, Fingers. Long Way to Richmond is a... This is from Amazon, by the way. Long Way to Richmond is a strange and offbeat tale of post-apocalyptic 1869, where muskets and gaslight street lamps exist side by side with modern day designs such as the television and the automobile. The story follows a confederate soldier making his way home to Virginia when he begins having strange dreams of a demonic creature. A viral plague exists to ravish existence. Meanwhile, a horrifying figure begins gathering survivors in Richmond in hopes of wiping out the human race. And with all, we get a brief glimpse of the horrors that come along with Long Way to Richmond featuring historical figures such as John Wilkes Booth and Jefferson Davis and rules that play them against the atypical archetype story history has come to tell them in the short story Fingers Gun*, story uh, Willie Beaker has just executed the three-fingered outlaw John Ferris with Ferris's body on the back of his horse and headed to Oklahoma to collect the bounty that's going to make him rich. Beaker begins noticing something strangely awry as the three-fingered corpse has mysteriously grown back the missing fingers, making for five, putting the gunslinger's bounty at risk. The lengths Willie is willing to go to to secure his bounty is a stretch straight into the surreal situation that not even the reader will see coming. Author Joseph Rubis handles this material like a crazed madman, aiming to take his readers on a ride through the horrors of history and dictated by his own direction, which is everywhere but straight. This read will appeal to fans of horror, history, and the absolute strange and bizarre, like reading Stephen King through a kaleidoscope of black comedy and strange errors, which I feel is a pretty good description of this book um the short story fingers i highly recommend as i do long way to richmond Uh, it is I, i really like the uh i like the writing It's very graphic it's also very kind of like uh crunchy i'm not all the way through it i'm about let's see where am i at i am at chapter 17 but believe you me, this is a great, great book. I've really, really enjoyed it. Uh, it's 20-plus um, chapters altogether, and I really uh, want to check out some more of uh, Joseph Rubis' other, uh, other stories out there. He's uh, short stories collected in a pocket of fear after midnight. Shades. His first novel, uh, Dracula 1912, was published in 2016. In addition, he is the editor to the third spectral book of horror stories. Uh, currently lives in Albany, New York, United States of America. All right. Long way to Richmond. Check it out. It's only nine bucks. I don't know if there is a Kindle copy out there, but uh, if there is, I'd check it out. All right. That was uh, Long Way to Richmond by Joseph Rubis.
0: One of the things that's really cool about H.P. Lovecraft that is that it's not just for the young people. Yeah,
1: grannies like H.P. Lovecraft, too?
0: Because they used to be young people. Ah, uh, <laughs> I thought it was
1: because the grannies like racism.
0: Well, grannies do like racism.
1: Not all grannies. <laughs> Hashtag not all grannies. <laughs>
0: Hashtag not all grannies, that's true. Your grandmothers were not into it. No, okay. Yeah. No. no. My grandmothers were, but... In their defense, they did live in Oklahoma, so yep. it's just you know pastime there. Yeah, gross,
1: but gross, gross. you know what? Let's talk about racism, because we never talk about that. On no, show. we never
0: do talk to, about racism. To
1: say that, you know, well, they were from this area, so they, it, you know, they were racist. It's it's a choice. It's a choice. Just like H.P. Lovecraft chose That's to true. listen to his grandfather's racist. Uh, I don't know, Europe-centric uh, views yeah. was his choice.
0: Well, and it's not just that H.P. Lovecraft is racist against, you know, um, like, he is racist against anybody who's not a New Englander.
1: No, no, no. As uh, Michael Holbeck wrote a book called Lovecraft Against Life. Yeah. And I think it's very apropos. Yeah. I mean, he didn't like women. Nope. He didn't like people of he didn't like minorities he frankly
0: didn't... I would be I would be unsurprised to hear that he didn't like food
1: well he uh, was cheap as hell he only liked Thanksgiving type foods I cover this in episode, uh, season four I think. Yeah. So, he's so he only eats like
0: turkey and giblets and stuffing and That's gravy. That's the food
1: he loves. That's wasn't the food that he could afford after his family lost all of their money. Mm. He had a terrible, terrible, terrible diet, which some people believe did not necessarily help with his stomach cancer. Oh well, yeah, obviously. If if you're eating tinned beans all the time and. Ooh. Ice cream and food out of tins constantly is what what he pretty much lived off. Well, of and food out of time. tins
0: back then was like really iffy, really rough. Yeah. yeah, lots of salt and weird yucky other stuff.
2: Oh yeah, yeah.
0: It's it's like okay, so like a lot of the preserved foods we eat now yeah. have a lot of like non foodie food stuff in sure. them, but it's never going to get you sick from salmonella. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah like we actually know how to preserve food now. Sure. <laughs> yeah. We have good germ theory, you Correct. know, the whole whole 9 yards. Yep. Anyway.
1: Anyway. So, yeah, Lovecraft, terrible diet. Ugh. He didn't hate food. He hated everything else. It fortunately for us, his hatred for life and his hatred for those around him really did kind of stem for a xenophobic and xenocentric Mm -hmm. uh, mythology.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. I mean... Mm -hmm.
1: Lovecraft was a racist bastard.
0: He was really obsessed with the foreign invasion, oh, and yeah. I mean, that's what all of his stories are about. They're all about a foreign invasion, and they're a foreign invasion of our planet, they're a foreign invasion of our minds, a foreign invasion of our bodies. A
1: foreign invasion of our bloodlines, a yeah. foreign invasion of our... yeah. yeah. Of our
0: very species. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The idea that we aren't we aren't as great as we think we are, and that there's all this... Gross, slimy stuff out mm-hmm. there waiting to use us for sex and food.
1: Yep, yeah, and uh, Lovecraft also wrote that humanity was created by an ac- in an accident creating um, biological construction equipment at the Mountains of Madness, mm. and also anything humanity's thought of for religion and anything like that. That's 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 all stuff Cthulhu put in our brains oh. back before we. Were even ape men, like the dinosaurs had sendings by Cthulhu. I mean, the woolly mammoths, the Cro-Magnums, the, the Homo habibilis and I'm. Mm.
0: It's pronounced habilis. Yeah. <laughs>
1: and you're pronounced fired. <laughs> oh,
0: what?
1: I'm, I'm. I'm rehiring you back.
0: Okay. Good. Phew. Uh, yeah. Look, there just aren't that many podcasts out there hiring.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything that you would like to say before we...
0: Uh, Sign off? Sign Um, off. I'm going to read these stories. They seem gross, but interesting also. You know, I like the idea... I mean, of course, death being like this final goodbye mm-hmm. is a huge part of like the human experience where we are born and we live and we die, and that is just the thing. And the idea that you could come back is, of course, a huge part of human mythology in general, but this idea of you come back, but you have to come back as a cannibalistic monster, violence, is really interesting to me. Also... Does Clapham's head get reanimated because his body is reanimated? Are they still somehow mystically connected? Yep. Because he doesn't inject the serum into his head, just his body, right?
1: His head is in a uh, A
0: a vat. vat. A vat of the stuff? Yeah. Oh, that was unclear to me in the synopsis.
1: Yeah. But if you want to hear the whole story next week...
0: Gonna... And
1: uh, the week after that, yeah, we are going to have readings.
0: Of Herbert, Herbert West, Re-animator. Reanimator. Don't listen to it while you're eating,
1: or listen to it while you're eating and throw up your food in Woo-hoo! front of you.
0: Yay. Yay.
1: Yay! And then make everyone else throw up.
0: I have to say, talking about cannibalism while I'm having a ham sandwich is one of my least favorite ideas. Yep, yep. Ever. Yeah,
1: fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, speaking of fuck that, remember, uh, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos is a member of darkmyths.org. Not as in fuck those guys. Those guys are awesome. Yeah. And Buddyslippers.com and Found item Clothing are our sponsors as always. Woohoo! This episode was written and produced... And Cut and Pasted by D.B. Spitzer. And <laughs> Read Out Loud by Seraphie and D.B. Spitzer. You can check us out at pgttcm.com. And pgttcm.podbean.com is the source of the RSS feed. So you Woo-hoo! can get it straight from that internet titty.
0: And... Mm.
1: <laughs> Sorry
0: Knowledge milk
1: Yeah, you can email us at pgtcm at gmail.com You can become a member of our Patreon at patreon.com slash pgttcm And if you want a cool t-shirt, sticker, etc You can always go to pgttcm.threadless.com Is mm-hmm. there anything else that we can think of? Twitter? Yeah YouTube? Yeah yeah, we're on all Facebook, those. Facebook,
0: Facebook, Facebook, yep. the monster of all things.
1: Yes. And next time we'll be talking about something else relating to the Cthulhu mythos, but actually next time we'll be a reading and I'm slipping in, uh, continued readings of the great God Pam. So Woohoo! you'll be able to continue to hear those for That's the next great. couple of weeks.
0: Excellent. Yeah,
1: so I'm probably going to have, like, one or two... two.
0: episodes dropped? Yeah. Well, one that or sounds two, awesome.
1: One or two episodes of Herbert West Reanimator uh, next week, and then maybe one or two the next week, and possibly the week after that if I do it two episodes. So...
0: Yay! Yay!
1: So you don't have to try and listen to it all in one big sitting. Yay! Yay. All right. <laughs> well, stay squiggly.
0: Keep it weird.
1: And... Peace in the east, war in the central, central core. core. All right, thank you so much for listening to PGTTCM. Thank you again. Music by Kevin McLeod, and we out. Goodbye. Bye.